3: put the spring back into your step and into your home too. shop blinds.com right now and save up to 45% up to 45% off for a limited time at blinds.com blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply
4: well good morning hardline is back here on news radio 930 wben sorry about taking last week off but we are here and uh, ready to go with a packed show and do not want to keep our guests waiting. So let's get right into it. Our first guest is Congressman Chris Jacobs. Car- Congressman Jacobs, thanks for joining me this morning.
5: Thanks very much for having me.
4: Uh, Congressman, before we get to anything that, you know, uh, that's been breaking this week, I, I want to start as something that you've been very vocal and you've seen in person a few times, and that's the continued mess at the uh, southern border. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you have seen continue to develop over the last few weeks?
5: Okay. In, in, increasingly troubled. It's it's getting worse, not better. Uh, we have certainly have seen footage uh, of uh, all the Haitian uh, individuals coming up through South America. And indications are there's more to come. And uh, uh, so this is a, a humanitarian crisis, a, a domestic security crisis, uh, uh, certainly uh, COVID uh, uh, people getting in uh, without any uh, Cautions in regards to COVID, and I, there was a uh, border patrol agent who came up to Washington to speak to us this week. So concerned about uh, what is going on down there and the lack of leadership in the Biden administration, he thinks at this point in time, and probably since the beginning of the Biden administration, so not even a year now, uh, that we're uh, we're coming in very close to a million illegal entries uh, that, that, that have been interdicted, people we've caught that then that, that we've most let, let go. So he is, if, with the trends going the way they are, it, unless something is really done and we start changing our policies, we're going to be four or five million people, uh, illegal entries in, in the first term of a Biden administration. That is unprecedented. That is should be alarming for all. And I'll tell you, uh, it's not, and people ask why I went down there. Uh, these these people are putting on being put on flights every day and going into the interior the United States throughout our country. Uh, and uh, uh, that, you know, everybody's going to be having to deal with the consequences of this. So uh, I will continue to speak on that and uh, raise awareness, because I think the a lot of the media are uh, turning a blind eye to it. And certainly the administration is uh, being the, uh, Joe Biden has still never gone down to the border to demonstrate seriousness in trying to uh, turn the tide here. Yeah, it,
4: it's interesting, Congressman, you know, uh, so much um, happening at the southern border, but the same administration continues to not let our friends uh, come over the land border to the north of us. So what do you think of that being extended yet again?
5: Yeah, there there is no cons- uh, consistency here or rationale. So we have uh, fully, you know, we're we're not allowing the Biden administration is not allowing fully vaccinated Canadians to legally entry enter the United States uh, to visit loved ones, to uh, recreate here, to go to Bills games. They're prohibited. Uh, but if you come to the southern border, unvaccinated, illegally, have at it. You, you are, you're you're let in. Uh, so this is is just the incoherence of. Uh, this uh, this Biden administration, we see this over and over again, and uh, so I, I, it's very very frustrating, and uh, I think our businesses are continuing to be hurt because Canadians can't come down here, uh, and also it really makes uh, there's no explanation how it makes sense or it's fair that somebody from Canada in Canada can fly to the United States, but they can't drive across the border, so. Um, they're allowing now is beginning November, all Europeans that are vaccinated, including Canadians that can fly to the U S. So they places like New York city will probably benefit by tourism, but a tourism place like ours, which is more dependent on land border crossings, we're still being hurt. Uh, so uh, this is unfair uh, and it's treating people differently and with the same circumstances. I'm going to continue to fight on it. And uh, I, I, I just, it it really, I, I think many people are shaking their heads on no rationale in terms of policy here uh, from the Biden administration.
4: This week, uh, Congress passed legislation to keep the government open. Um, what did you think of that vote? What is holding everyone back from a long-term agreement on um, on budget?
5: Well, I think, you know, I, I, the, the administration and Nancy Pelosi have been, very engaged in the politics and not the governing, and so this week we spent a whole bunch of time sitting around uh, uh, waiting on Nancy Pelosi as she tried to arm twist her Democratic members to come in, to fall in line uh, to you know for her wish list and Joe Biden's wish list to pass this gargantuan, enormous, unprecedented uh, level of new spending in uh, what's called a reconciliation bill. Uh, which they are saying is $3.5 trillion, in reality, when you really dig down into it, because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of gimmicks and uh, hiding of things, that it's really about $5.5 trillion. It would be the largest expenditure in the history of the United States, single expenditure. Uh, they were focused on that, uh, the socialist wish list, as opposed to uh, passing a budget uh, making sure that the lights in our government stay open and the core fundamental functions of governing uh, uh, governing continue. So what happened is uh, Nancy uh, Pelosi tried to create uh, arbitrary deadlines and pressure on people and hold back uh, other things we needed to do. And uh, at the end of it, uh, their, their efforts fell through and they did not come to an agreement, which is good for the American people and, and the crazy budget consequences. But, uh, we, at the last minute, passed the temporary extension of the operations of government, uh, for, uh, a couple months, uh, to bide a little more time. But it is not the way to run a government. No one ever run a business like this. Uh, even, you know, our local governments, uh, are far more reputable in terms of how they operate things. So, uh, as a new person to Congress, I'm shocked on how, uh, things are run down there, and things really do need to change.
4: So by December 3rd, do you see any kind of compromise um, on things like the infrastructure bill? Or are we going to be looking at another temporary legislation to keep government open around the holidays?
5: I, I hope that uh, they come to their senses and uh, pass a true um, true budget uh, where, where people can be assured on, on the core and fundamental functions of government. Uh, on the other issue, I, I don't know. It's my hope that the reconciliation bill... Falls through. Let's keep in mind it, again. It's about five trillion dollars of new spending, new uh, new taxes. At five point five trillion, is larger than the GDP of Canada and Mexico combined. Uh, so it is so big. And let's keep in mind that most of that that money that they're going to try to spend on all these things under the sun, from giving credits to people who make eight hundred thousand dollars to be able to buy Teslas. Uh, all this is going to go on our credit card and or the majority of it. And that's going to be a burden on our children and our children's children. And this is all on top of the fact that we just spent $6 trillion in the last 18 months or so fighting the COVID pandemic. I mean, if there's any time to pull back the reins and say, whoa, you know, we've had to spend a lot to, uh, to deal with what we had to deal with. We have never had a debt uh, level like this, Uh, The only time we ever had it this high was after World War II. But the difference was, after World War II, the leaders came uh, 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 together and said, this is not good for the country to have such high debt. And they quickly uh, made decisions, hard decisions, and got the debt down. We are going in the exact opposite direction. Our debt right now is projected to soar, and that's even before uh, before this new expenditure, of the reconciliation bill, and uh, I can't, in good conscience, support something like this. This is very bad for the future of our country for next generations. Uh, we will be spending in the future, if we continue on this trend, to spend so much of our annual revenue uh, to pay debt, uh, mor- or essentially a mortgage payments, that we won't be able to do other important things that are important for the future and the strength of our country. So I think that that's why this. Seems to be falling apart because the silent majority is speaking up and say, saying this is insane. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. Nancy Pelosi uh, is a very wily politician who uh, seems to get her way usually. Uh, so so we'll see. Congressman, what do you think
4: of President Biden saying that Republicans' effort to block the increase to the debt limit is irresponsible?
5: Well, I, I I'm fully uh, willing to support an increase in the debt limit if it's if it's a clean bill Um, but what Nancy Pelosi and everybody keeps doing is taking things like funding the government increasing the debt limit and tying other things to it Uh, and uh, so uh, for instance uh, this uh, funding the government provision she threw in um, just as you read through the fine print removing Critical funding that we've always uh, partnered in terms of funding Israel, uh, to uh, the Iron Dome funding, which protects Israel from uh, ro- uh, missiles that come in and rockets that come in from from uh, hostile neighbors. They just quietly pull, try to pull that out and undermine Israel. They also removed uh, uh, that uh, waived real ID requirements for is as um, Afghanistani refugees that are coming in that we wouldn't have to we wouldn't be required to fully vet them before they travel on flights and go into federal buildings. Well, if that was, you know, something we put in after 9-11 because we knew that was important. So, uh, you know, they tend to put things in their kind of agendas uh, under this. So if, if, if it is clean, I'm supportive, and I'm sure that's going to come. But it's going to come, uh, unfortunately, at the last minute before, uh, you know, Nancy tries to get her other things using these core and fundamental things that we should come together as uh, uh, partners in government and get done.
4: Congressman, you know, you, you've been down there for uh, a few years now. Have you seen anywhere where there could be cuts made to the federal government that would not affect um, the average American citizen uh, and could and could make, you know, these numbers a little less? You know, we're talking trillions of dollars. Have you seen something that it's there day to day, but if it wasn't there, it wouldn't be a detriment to the government?
0: Oh,
5: yeah, absolutely. I, 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 and that's something certainly I'll always look more. And I, I, first, I think that uh, we, we, again, are coming out of uh, the COVID crisis. We're still not fully out of it. Um, we spent a lot of money, uh, some of which I thought was good, some of which I thought was uh, unmi- uh, unwarranted. The, the last COVID bill, uh, which was passed, which was $1.9 trillion, I believe, in February, was the only one that wasn't bipartisan. Uh, and that one, I thought there was a lot of things that were un-COVID-related, just using COVID as an excuse to push the kind of liberal orthodoxy. And also... The enhanced unemployment benefits, which I think really hurt our economy and drove inflation, um, so I think first and foremost we need to pull the reins back on new um, unnecessary spending, like what we're doing with uh, the proposed 3.5 trillion or 5 trillion dollar reconciliation. But you know, having you know my role when I was county clerk, I did a lot of uh, cost savings measures and did it not at the expense of. Uh, government, uh, the quality of service to the customer. And I believe that is always the case in government. Uh, we, can, we can drive more efficiency and decrease waste. And certainly the federal government is not immune at all to that. So I think that, uh, that absolutely is something we need to always look at. And, and I certainly will.
4: Congressman Jacobs, I know you have uh, a lot on your plate uh, down in Washington, but back here at home, Governor Kathy Hochul, her mandate on nurses uh, to be vaccinated, uh, we're looking at 5-6% of the workforce being forced to, to leave if they don't get vaccinated, and the the governor has you know, introduced a, a lot of measures, bypassing certain registration, she's even threatened to bring in the National Guard to replace nurses, what do you think of what's going on back
5: here in New York? Well, I think it's certainly first, uh, I mean, I am vaccinated. Uh, I believe, uh, that I personally believe the vaccine is effective. I wish it was a little more durable and long lasting, but, uh, uh, you know, as they continue to work on, uh, more, uh, innovations there, but, uh, and I encourage people to talk to their physicians and make, uh, an informed personal decision on that. But, um, I am concerned about what's going on. I, I believe, uh, you know, look, we have a very high percentage of our medical uh, staff uh, providers, uh, professionals that are vaccinated, I believe over 90 percent. So it's it's a significant accomplishment where we are at this point in time. Um, and uh, certainly I, I'm sure more will get vaccinated as we move forward. Uh, but we have to balance the desire for 100% or perfection in terms of, of, of vaccinations, we have to balance that with the consequences of what it's going to do to our healthcare systems and, and the providing of healthcare. And I am very concerned uh, that uh, we all already have a labor shortage in our healthcare systems. And to, uh, to push this mandate, uh, so quickly and, and cause layoffs of, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8% of employees. And I, I represent a lot of rural communities which have small hospitals that it's very significant, the loss. Um, we, we have a situation where we're gonna have a real crisis. I've heard of people getting turned away from emergency rooms. Certainly elective surgeries have now been canceled. Uh, and, you know, I, I tend to view that that kind of consequence may be more serious than the small percentage of people that work in the hospitals that are unvaccinated. I wrote a letter to Kathy Hochul this week and I said, maybe consider an alternative option to say, get vaccinated or submit to uh, regular uh, testing and wear ma- and masking. And, and uh, that's typically been the, the way uh, with the flu vaccine that they've done in hospitals. And I think that would be a reasonable accommodation. So we don't have a situation where people are getting turned away people are not getting elective procedures, uh, mammograms, and things like that. Uh, that. That, I think, has far greater uh, health care concerns. And then also, on top of that, to consider the fact we do have the strike with uh, Mercy Hospital, and that's causing that's very much disrupting the marketplace, and people are being forced to go to other hospitals, causing overloads in other hospitals. So we need to take that into consideration and balance Uh, the interest and the desire, and I'm just concerned right now that this kind of absolute approach uh, may actually uh, be detrimental uh, and more detrimental than it is beneficial.
4: Congressman, before we let you go, you uh, feel good about the Bills game today?
5: I feel great about the Bills. I feel great about Josh Allen. I had an awesome week last week, and I think we got a a roll going, and uh, go Bills.
4: I hope so. Congressman Chris Jacobs, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Congressman Chris Jacobs, our first guest. When we come back, we are getting an update from the picket line in front of Mercy Hospital. Yes, we will uh, see what is going on, see what's in store for this week, where negotiations halted, and where we expect to see them go uh, this next week. We'll be talking to the president of CWA Local 1133. When we come back, it's Hardline on WBEN. trying to connect with CWA Local 1133 President Jackie Atipio. As you know, this week, all right, this week, Friday, um, employees, union members, uh, started picketing outside of Mercy Hospital. The strike continues. We're on day three now. And a lot of focus on what could happen tomorrow, what may happen tomorrow, as... Both sides are prepared to go back to the negotiation table, and hearing a lot Friday. Let me tell you, as uh, someone who works production of a morning morning news show, um, you know five to seven is usually not the busiest two hours of work, and Friday five to seven was probably the busiest five to seven uh, I can remember in some time with the press conferences, with the live hits outside of the hospital and we heard from we heard from uh both sides a few times on Sunday, on Friday I'm sorry here is where we stood this was uh, Catholic Health President Mark Sullivan Friday evening talking about what is going on with the Mercy Hospital Union CWA workers and Catholic Health
1: It's important to note that right now we are caring for about 200 patients at the hospital. And I have a stat sheet that I'll provide to you regularly so you kind of know what we're working with um, at the hospital. Uh, Typically we have about 322 patients on the inpatient side and uh, right now we have 200. The leadership team of Catholic Health and the hospital have been in every room, on every floor, working closely with the staff, to ensure the patients are comfortable, they're safe, and they understand uh, what we're dealing with, but most importantly, their care is there for them. We also know in the emergency room, we typically see, uh, on Tuesday, we saw 102 people, and uh, today, so far, we've seen 52 people that we cared for right to my right here in the emergency room. You know, we, we said this earlier, that we have an excellent team of nursing and healthcare professionals who are temporarily here with us from around the country. About 5.30 in the morning, I got to greet some of them. They come from all over the country for one main reason, and that's the commitment we started at Catholic Health 170 years ago, and that's to ensure no matter what the crisis, no matter what the situation, snowstorm, labor strike, flood, anything we have, that we provide the best care we can in all circumstances. So we're grateful for the workers that are here uh, to help us temporarily during this crisis. This is a period where the CWA has taken associates away from the bedside to picket outside, as you've heard when you came in. It's important to note that we're working very closely with the New York State Department of Health. They have been through Mercy Hospital. They are working closely with us to ensure a smooth transition here and the other outpatient sites that Mercy operates. I want to thank those temporary workers as well. I also want to applaud the contingency workforce uh, management team that came together. As you know, we were handed a 10-day strike notice. And when that strike notice is handed to us, that means in 10 days, uh, the CWA could strike. When we received that notice, the wheels had to start in motion because as I started this conversation, the number one priority of Catholic Health are the patients. And with the uncertainty of the strike notice with no end date on it, we acted on an abundance of caution to ensure our patients would be safe. We also have a planning team that's constantly monitoring everything from supplies to patient transport to interactions with our patients, and we're focusing on that as well. You know, it's a trying time for any leader today in America and around uh, the world, but here at Mercy Hospital, it is a trying time. There is not a leader on the Catholic Health Management Team that is not committed to ensuring our associates feel appreciated, our associates are recognized, our patients are cared for. So I'd be remiss if I didn't thank the President of Mercy Hospital, Eddie Bradco, Sherry McDonald, the Chief Nursing Officer, Tim Gabriel, the VP of Patient Care Services, and Christina Tobin, the VP of Operations here at Mercy, who have been working tirelessly around the clock to ensure the patients that want to receive care here at Mercy receive that care. It was kind of moving this morning about 5.15 when I arrived up in the staging area, and there was over 100 volunteers from Catholic Health, both lay people like myself and medical professionals that came in to help support their colleagues here. You know, Catholic health is what we call a ministry, and we come together in times of crisis, we come together in times of celebration. And I was really proud of the team that came together. I wanna move on to talk to you a little bit about um, some questions that came up. Uh, At the press conference this morning, I wanted to make sure I got to the floor so I didn't have time to answer questions, but some questions came to our PR department. And one of them were, what was the sticking point? Why couldn't you get to a deal? We sent you a press release that outlined all the things that were uh, listed um, in our most current proposal to the union, but I want to walk you through that again. I committed to that on Wednesday. I did it yesterday in interviews with many of your stations, and I want to remind you of what we've put on the table. We were asked, we asked the union, what are the key issues? And you can hear it chanting outside, staffing, wages, and benefits. Let me be clear. Last night, actually it was this morning, sorry, it's been a couple days, this morning, We answered that call after weeks of conversation and mutual understanding of what exactly that meant. For example, we have put a proposal forward that is a $32 million wage package out of a quarter of a billion dollar wages. What does that mean? That means on average, there are workers that are getting anywhere from 2.5% to 32% pay increases. Not just at Mercy, but we went a step forward for all the bargaining positions represented by CWA. We did a cross-check with the union to ensure from EVS to technical workers, to nursing, to any technologists that are part of this contract, they were recognized and they are now in the proposal we submitted at a competitive market wage in this community. The second was staffing. When we're done with this interview, I encourage all of you to Google healthcare staffing shortage. And if Catholic Health is the only entity in this country that comes up, come back here and ask me some questions. This is a national crisis. I've been here 30 years, and there hasn't been one year when there hasn't been a staffing challenge. However, we must note that this is very different. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of exhausted workforce that are out there picketing. We're in the middle of staffing shortages where people are making decisions to leave nursing and other healthcare professions. For example, September 2nd, the American Nursing Association sent a letter to Health and Human Services stating, you must do something at a national level related to nursing shortages. And just this week, Governor Hochul announced a disaster emergency related to healthcare shortages. I can't, as CEO of Catholic Health, wave a magic wand and create staffing tomorrow. So what did we do? We sat down with the union for multiple hours and we talked to them of what does staffing mean to you? We brought in our director of talent acquisition and retention who sat at the bargaining table to listen to union leadership, to understand what do you need to help us recruit? They explained a lot of things. We learned a lot and they learned a lot. We have national recruiters around the country now looking to recruit for people to come to Buffalo.
4: That was Mark Sullivan. He is the president and CEO of Catholic Health. Still trying to connect with a uh, member of CWA Local 1133. So while we try to do that, we will go to a break and we'll be back. It is Hardline. It is Sunday morning. Don't forget, our, coming up in the next hour, political strategist Carl Calabrese and Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns. So a packed show ahead here on Hardline on WBEN. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Obviously, we were trying to uh, connect with a member of CWA local, but understandably a a busy weekend for them as uh, the strike, the uh, outside of Mercy Hospital continues. Before we went to the break, we heard from Mark Sullivan, his comments Friday evening. Uh, That was day one of the strike in front of Mercy Hospital. We are in day three. And uh, again, both sides prepared, I think, to go back to the negotiation table tomorrow. Uh, so this is something that I think uh, I, I, I think I speak for the community when I say that many of us would hope that uh, they can come to an agreement quite quickly on Monday. We heard from Mark Sullivan, and again, the goal was to have uh, uh, Jackie Atipio hear this segment, but again, it's a busy weekend for them. Um I'm sure she is out front of Mercy Hospital and uh unable to uh, to join us and that's fine we completely understand. Here were their comments uh Friday morning right after the strike had started in front of Mercy Hospital. This is from Friday morning. You're listening to Hardline on WBEN.
0: Good morning everybody and thank you for coming out this morning. Uh my name is Debbie Hayes and I'm the Upstate New York Area Director for the Communication Workers of America uh... it's uh... kind of a sad morning because we were hoping that negotiations uh... would result in an agreement and unfortunately they did not uh... we started bargaining yesterday morning at about nine o'clock and worked through till about three thirty this morning when it became clear that we were not going to reach an agreement uh... we uh, spoke to the hospital before we left and let them know that we would be willing to get back to the bargaining table whenever they're ready. Uh, there were some productive discussions that occurred uh, over the last couple of days, but unfortunately, just turned out to be too little too late. Uh, a lot of people are asking us how we possibly can think about uh, striking uh, being healthcare workers Uh, And with the COVID pandemic still lingering in our community, but as you can see from the picket line behind us, our members have had it. The work conditions inside Mercy Hospital, the unsafe staffing conditions, and the care that we have not been able to deliver our patients really push people to the brink. So uh, we are out here for as long as it takes to advocate on behalf of our uh, members and the patients that they care for. We have a a wide uh, uh, range of speakers this morning, so I'm going to turn it over to a member of our bargaining committee and one of the ITA's, one of the striking members from inside Mercy Hospital, Cheryl Darley.
2: Jackie Tipio, (laughs)
0: Um,
2: I just wanna um, let you know that the strike that is happening right now is totally due to the hospital. Um, The conditions in the hospital have deteriorated over the years. The staffing was terrible before COVID came, and that's no excuse. And we've watched the conditions deteriorate as the years went on. Um, We've watched patients suffer, and we've uh, we've experienced no breaks, we've experienced no lunches. And we're striking on behalf of St. Joseph's Hospital. Kenmore Mercy Hospital and Buffalo Mercy Hospital. And we're doing it basically for the community. Um, We want to make sure that we have equipment to take care of our patients. And we're also looking for fair wages for individuals that are making less than $15 an hour to at least be brought up to that. Um, But make no mistake that this strike is for the safety of the community and for the conditions in the hospital. And um, None of us really want to strike, and uh, we hope that the hospital wakes up and gives a fair contract. Hi,
6: I'm Cheryl Darling. I'm an ITA in the medical care unit at Mercy Hospital. I've been employed for 32 years at Mercy, and this is my first time on the bargaining committee. Um, I've never done this before, and honestly, in my 32 years, I've never ex- thought that I'd want to walk away from this. Um, the conditions in there are horrifying. Our EVS workers have been working so severely understaffed that our hospital is the dirtiest I've ever seen it. We're rip- ripping towels and washcloths to keep our, our rooms clean. Um, dietary staff are overworked. Um, our rad techs, our clerical workers, it's right on up to the nurses. So. We've been bargaining for the last 19 days, solid days, straight, without a break. And up until 3.30 this morning, um, we've had a little movement, but honestly, they've heard our words a little too late. We've been pleading with them since early this year of the dire conditions in the hospital, and they failed to listen to us. And today they decided that it was time to hurry up, and they actually wanted us to put this off. We're done putting it off. We need to deal with this for our patients, for our community, and for every single employee, from the EVS worker to the dietary workers, right on up to the nurses. And every patient that lays in that bed right now, we're here fighting for them and for our community. And those were
4: opening statements from the union members. Uh, and what I mean by opening statements, that was 15 minutes after the strike in front of Mercy Hospital began on Friday. Uh, we are now on day three, and like I said, it was a busy Friday morning. And I look look forward to tomorrow being just as busy as both sides return to the negotiating table and try to get... Uh, their workers back and uh, try to come to a negotiation that will make both sides happy. And uh, anything that breaks, you'll be able to hear it right here on News Radio 930 WBEM in depth coverage uh, Friday with, um, with uh, a new morning. And then uh, I don't usually like to promote stuff I did, but uh, when I filled in for David Bellavia and Mike Siegel filling in for Bowerly, um, just some really uh, eye opening calls of the situation at some of the local hospitals. And uh, that is where we stand right now, day three. Tomorrow, both sides back to the table. And um, like I said, from what it sounds like, a negotiation could be soon uh, when they get back to the table, or it could be another week. You know, you never know what to believe or who to listen to. Uh, so that is where that stands. And like I said, all the news right here on WBEN. And you can follow us online at WBEN.com and at NewsRadio 930 for the latest on the CWA strike out front of Mercy Hospital. When we come back, political strategist Carl Calabrese will uh, discuss everything going on locally. Locally and nationally, we'll get into that. And then Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns giving us an update of everything going on in the clerk's office. Because, you know, still a lot of questions as we come back from complete shutdown uh, almost a year later. Those questions still loom everywhere. And uh, we will be talking about that in the next hour. But right now, we're getting up to date. It's WBEN Buffalo.
3: (sighs)